The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. Hey, y'all. I'm Bud Elliott, and this is my college football summer school series on Cover 3. I bring on the team experts from the 24-7 sports staff and ask them the questions I care about. No fluff. Which players will be toughest to replace? What position groups are sneakily better or worse than I realize? We get you the scoop on each team in 20 minutes or less. Let's go. All right, guys, welcome back in. I'm Bud Elliott, and this is my college football summer school on the Cover 3 podcast. Today, we're going to talk a little Kansas. And you know what? Hey, we're in luck because 24-7 Sports has the best Kansas site on the internet. Michael Swain of Fog.net joins us. Michael, what's going on? Not too much, bud. Thanks a bunch for having me on. I love watching these for some of the other Big 12 programs and other college programs, so happy to provide some insight. Absolutely. So last year, uh, six and seven, which for some teams we have on, they would be talking about firing a coach. This is the best Kansas season in over a decade. Uh, legitimate, power-rated, top half of the college football world, football team. That, that had to be pretty fun to cover. It was, and I think you look at the, the start of the season – you start 5-0, and and you look at this team, you get college game day. Um, that's something I had covered when I was at Iowa State, and to see it in Lawrence was something really kind of surreal, and I think it was like that for a lot of the players and people around the program. Um, obviously, the back half of the season felt maybe a little bit like KU football seasons of old, right? Some blowouts, some tough games. Obviously, injuries played a role in that, but I think in the end, getting a bowl game, getting some of those extra practices is going to be really huge for the KU football program really heading into year three under Lance Leipold. And it's kind of crazy to say you're only entering, you know, year three under the Leipold era, so to speak. And it feels like it's been four or five years, just considering all the things that have happened uh, since he arrived in Lawrence about two years ago. So 
the way they went about this was interesting. One of the largest splits between offense and defense in the country. They had a top 10 offense and a bottom 20 defense if you adjust for opponent quality, which is kind of hard to do. You almost never see that. Uh, I love watching this offense. I, I, I can't pronounce the offensive coordinator's name, so I'm going to let you do it for me. But a, a top 10 offense at Kansas, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and I mean, look, you look at the talent, right? It's not necessarily a bunch of guys that are going to go play on Sundays. I think what Andy Kotonecki, the offensive coordinator, what he does is he does a really good job of making things simple for the players, but kind of complex for opposing teams. I remember week two, West Virginia, um, their defensive coordinator basically said that KU ran like 10 plays all game. And what they changed each snap was the placement of different personnel and different people. So it's really easy for players to learn easy for players to execute, but for an opposing defense, especially in the first kind of four or five weeks of the season, it's really hard to kind of latch on and figure out what is going on. And so I think you saw a guy like Jalen Daniels kind of be that tie that lifts all boats. You know, he made incredible throws, let guys make plays on the outside. And I think the running game too is a huge deal. The offensive line, I'm sure we'll talk about a little bit, but you know, was good in terms of pass protection, up front didn't necessarily get a ton of push but the running game the triple option made it such an explosive rushing attack that they were able to score so quickly and i think on the other end that led to a lot of short offensive drives which obviously leaves the defense um with a little bit of time on the sideline but i think overall the offensive mind of andy Kornick, you really allowed that offense to be so potent and so explosive when you look at it and the left tackle is the only guy that left right he's going to be on the practice squad most likely for the dallas cowboys you know, not a lot of guys are going to want to be stars in the NFL, so to speak, but they play well collectively. They really don't make a ton of mistakes, and I think it allows them to really execute at a high level. I think you said it perfectly. I mean, it's a really interesting statistical profile if you look at it. like a very efficient passing game, extremely explosive passing game. They hit explosive runs with some frequency, and their run efficiency was pretty poor, but like not horrid, so the defense still had to respect it enough and, and I like the combo of Daniels making big time throws but also a lot of throws go watch Kansas highlights how many guys how many times are they scoring touchdowns where there's no defensive player in the frame it, it, they're like zoom out plays you, you, the, the TV camera needs to needs to pull back some to see where the, the nearest defender was like their play action stuff is great uh, Daniels last year got dinged up a little bit with shoulder right do we know is he good to go for the fall? Is he back to where he was? Because like when he was healthy, he threw the ball well. Yeah, he did. And so he separated the shoulder against TCU, um, missed about a month, and then came back towards the end of the season. Wasn't 100%, was clearly a little gun-shy at times. And I think that was something that really stood out to me watching Jalen throw during the first five weeks of the season was his decision-making was so precise, and he knew where he wanted the ball to go and was really good at getting it there. And then over the final few weeks, right, you didn't necessarily see that you saw it in the bowl game, but now during spring practice, they really spent time trying to, you know, the strength coach talks to media and he said that they try to make him bulletproof where he can take hits, he can go make big throws still. Um, and I think they really tried to kind of narrow down his workload a little bit during spring ball, not overwork him. He knows the offense. He knows the guys are going to be back. Keep him healthy. Make sure he goes into fall camp with a ton of confidence where he can really start to ramp up and get back to that level where he was last year so interesting here J jason bean is the backer quarterback and also one of the more efficient runners on the roster if you kind of look at one of these plot charts like his his run efficiency is really up there how, how did they convince him to stay and are they going to use him more in that running role this year 
Yeah, I, I don't think Jason Bean is back unless he overthrows that final pass against Arkansas in the bowl game. You know, that was something that was pretty evident that Lance Leipold talked about, that Jason talked about. He was not going to come back. Um, he was ready to move on in football and just get to being an adult and being living life. And I think that play left a sour taste in his mouth. And he's back now. And I think KU, in terms of a, a one-two quarterback combo, it's got to be one of the better ones in the Big 12. You look last year, right? You know, a lot of teams in the Big 12 have liked to have Jason Bean as their backup. I'm sure Iowa State, Oklahoma State programs like that. And so now they're going to use him a little bit more expansively. I think they would have been even more if Ethan Vasco, um, the third string quarterback who the coaches were pretty high on, if he had stuck around, but he ended up transferring. So now you're looking at a situation where the quarterback depth maybe isn't as deep as the coaching staff would have liked. So I think Jason will still be used as a gadget player on offense, right? He's got elite track speed. Um, was a close to a state champion in Texas in high school, but I'm not sure if they're going to be able to use him as much now, just considering the fact that if he gets hurt, in addition to Jalen getting hurt, you're looking at a guy, Ben Easters, who's never played a snap of college football. Certainly a, a concern there. Um, everybody who caught, unless my sheet's wrong here, everybody who caught more than five passes last year returns for this offense. It, is there any reason to think we could see a depth chart shake up? Is there a young guy that maybe last year did some things and now he's taking a step forward or, or is it going to be, you know, sort of grim Arnold Fairchild Skinner still? Yeah, I think it's gonna be those guys on the outside, at least, you know, you look at what they tried to do in the winter was get a kind of a, a guy that can make plays with the ball in his hand, like a yak guy. They mm -hmm. didn't really find that person and they've kind of decided to bank the scholarship, use it on defense this spring and so it's going to be those same guys. I think the hope is maybe the offensive line takes a big step forward. They brought in two transfers, Logan Brown, a former five-star recruit from Wisconsin. And then they also got Spencer Lovell um, via Cal, via Arizona State, who's about 6'6", 330, really good size at the position. So I think you know if you're going to pinpoint a spot where you're going to see new faces on offense, I think it's going to be along the offensive line. And the hope is that that group can be more physically imposing up front or maybe they can run the ball a little bit more consistently down to down and not be such a feast or famine type of running game. So I, one kind of trend that I've noticed in talking to some of the other big 12 guys on here that they cover, they, they, they think Kansas won't be as good this year on offense because the league has, has seen this scheme now for, mm -hmm. for two years. But my thought about this is everybody's back. So how, I bet you, like, I have to think that in spring they were able to, install a lot more scheme because they're not having to, to to install their own scheme like they can do i assume you saw like they're they're putting in a good bit more stuff when you have this experience of a group right yeah exactly i think that's the point now where this time last year you know exiting spring practice we're talking about a team that was just learning the offense right because that was our first spring practice and now they really took the approach of all right load management for some of the guys like jalen daniels mike Nowitzki, the center um, guys on the outside, right? Load management, but also really kind of introducing, I think, some new concepts, new ideas to where I think you're right. You know, I think some Big 12 teams probably feel like they've got a good idea of what Kansas is going to do, but that's also last year's Kansas team. And I don't think people really expected them to come out running triple option a lot. Now we'll have to see what type of wrinkles Andy Kordonicki puts into the offense. And I think just considering the fact that what you saw last year and how the offense kind of evolved over the course of the season. I think there's got to be some confidence that the offense will have different wrinkles than maybe some teams haven't seen yet. Absolutely. So let's shift over here to the other side of the ball. And that was a very positive talk. And now we're going to be uh, somewhere between negative and really negative. So a bottom 20 defense in the country profile is 
not surprising. I think it, it indicates a lack of athleticism on on the defense. Mm-hmm. They were terrified to blitz. Uh, pressure rate is one of the absolute worst in the whole country. Like my thought is they don't blitz because they're slow or don't like what they have in the back end. But then the front also got no pressure and they didn't rotate much, which so you were playing guys that weren't very good, but then also didn't have a lot of confidence to play the backups. And now the top three defensive tackles are are gone. Uh, it, it, is this okay? Am I wrong in thinking this D line is not any better? I think there's reason to go there. Um, I think for me, when I look at this defensive line, right, the three guys that left, um, really great humans, really important for the culture of Kansas football not high-end Big 12 starters and not high-ceiling players. And I think you look at some of the guys that have come in and they're guys that have higher ceilings in terms of their athletic capabilities. You know, Devin Phillips is a transfer from Colorado State, uh, about 6'2", 325 pounds, but he can really move and really bend. And that's something that the previous defensive tackles didn't really have. You look at Gage Keys, a 6'5", 280-pound defensive tackle from Minnesota, super explosive. You look at the testing numbers he had, I mean, they would rival that of an NFL defensive tackle. Granted, he's 20 pounds lighter, but still really, really good athletic profile. And then you got someone like Tommy Dunn, who played about 15 snaps per game last year. But you go look at that Arkansas game in the bowl game in the second half. He's holding his own against double teams against that SEC offensive line. So I think there are guys here that don't have a ton of experience at Kansas. But if you look at the profiles for them, I think they have the ability to have a higher ceiling and maybe make more splash plays than some of those guys last year. Now, the question is, what are the growing pains going to look like, right? Gage Keys and and someone like Tommy Dunn haven't played a ton of consistent football during their college career. What are those growing pains going to look like against Illinois or when you play BYU, right? That's kind of the big question for that defensive tackle group. And I think you look at maybe the linebacker group, you mentioned the athleticism aspect of it. They really try to improve that. J.B. Brown coming in from Bowling Green, a really good athlete. He replaces someone like Lorenzo McCaskill or Gilliard. Two guys are more stiff, physical. Um, and I think the hope is that they're going to get a little bit more athletic there. And then I think in the secondary, again, hope that someone like Demarius McGee from LSU, former top 100 recruit, maybe he can help elevate that group. So I think they've sprinkled in some new, new guys that have high ceilings. It's just going to be a question of, all right, what do those growing pains look like? And how does that development happen over the course of the season? Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash CBS Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, 
marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. That's that's encouraging to hear. I just I was working on my power numbers. Like mm-hmm. I really can't downgrade their D line anymore because they're they're not like a Hawaii level bad, right? But I mean they're I, I am curious, like, so Phillips only played 150 snaps at, at Colorado State. Like, is it just was it an injury thing that they, they they think they found a diamond in the rough, or or kind of what what happened there? Yeah, know? so I think that would have been last year. Um, and he redshirted. He did the four games redshirt. I'm going to go be a super senior somewhere else. He's played a lot um, at Colorado okay. State. I think he basically started almost his entire career outside of last season. And I think you got to go back to the 2021 season for. Uh, his production, I don't have it at the top of my head, but it was pretty impressive what he was able to do at the defensive tackle spot. So he's got a lot of experience, but just one of those guys that last year knew he wanted to try and make a jump, decided to redshirt, all transfer somewhere else. Absolutely. Um, all right, so that's actually kind of encouraging. Uh, this is I love doing the summer school because you, you, you learn stuff like this, right? Uh, now, pass rush. Mm-hmm. Uh, Can it be better? Who, if it is better, why is it better? I mean, here's the thing, bud. You know, uh, they lost Lonnie Phelps to the NFL. You can pick what you want about the decision, right? Is it the right thing? You went undrafted. He's with the Browns now. I don't know, but that's a big loss because you look at the the strong side defensive end spot. Jeremy Robinson outproduced Malcolm Lee, who was a starter last year over the last two seasons. Both times outproduced him, but now he's going to come in and have to be the starter, right? He's a good player and you feel okay about that spot, but it's that weak side rush end role that Kansas has where you're really scratching your head. Lonnie Phelps left. Um, They got a guy, Austin Booker from Minnesota, another guy that's really good athletically, but hasn't played a ton of football yet. What are the growing pains going to look like there? You got someone like Hayden Hatcher, who's a super senior, um, pretty limited, not necessarily a great athlete, high motor, a lot of effort plays. But I don't know if you want him coming off the edge on a on a third and seven when you need a sack. And then they got a guy, Patrick Joyner from Utah State, who was kind of the third best defensive end on that team. He was injured for most of spring practice. I don't think KU really knows what they have there yet. So, I mean, but it is a pretty big concern when you look at the the weak side kind of defensive end role. KU is out there in the portal right now looking for someone to fill that spot. So we'll kind of have to see who they end up getting. But I think you want to talk about biggest concerns on defense. I really think it's kind of that rush end spot because you're replacing someone in Lonnie Phillips, who I think had about seven or eight sacks last year with guys that don't really have a lot of proven production. That makes sense. I, I do have a buddy who co- coaches Mountain West, and he thought Utah State's front was really good. And I know mm-hmm. Baylor took Byron Bonds, who was a so like, is it great that you're t- if you're Kansas, you're taking a guy who was, who was a third best D end at Utah State? It sounds worse than it probably was, yeah. but still, yeah, that's okay. So that's probably a continuing concern. We talked linebacker, the hopes that they get more athletic there. In the secondary, um, I feel like they lose all their backups and they bring back all the guys who played a lot. That's yeah. basically anybody who played 550 or more, which is six, five dudes, six dudes, are all back. Is anybody going to lose their role? Because just they're with their blitz profile, I, they can't have had a lot of confidence in those guys in, in, in the back end. Are they all going to play? I think so. Um, they did a lot of quarters stuff last year in terms of scheme, right? Try and keep everything in front of you. You know, ideologically, what Kansas wanted to do last year was be explosive on offense, score quickly, make the opposing team really work to score. 
and they played off coverage. And what that happened, what ended up happening was KU would get into third and 13 or third and 15. And then they allowed a 20 yard pass because they're playing a little too far off. And so I think they're going to try and get into some more man to man stuff, maybe play some press coverage if they can. Kobe Bryant at corner uh, was an all big 12 guy last year, kind of more of a splash play guy. I think if he can take a step forward consistency wise, I think that's a, a spot that maybe feel better about. It's kind of the other corner spot where Melo Dotson played, where I think the hope is that maybe Demarius McGee from LSU can come in there and play. Maybe Kalon Gervin, who played kind of their nickel. Uh, maybe he can play a little bit more on the outside. And for me, I look at safety, honestly, bud. And uh, Kenny Logan gets a lot of plaudits. Um, he's played a lot of football. has been a really important figure for Kansas right after Les Miles left, um, staying, not deciding to transfer. But he did not have a good year last year. Yeah. There's no two ways about it. Not a good year at all. And I think you look at that safety spot at the boundary. Marvin Grant from Purdue is a guy that's got a pretty good athletic profile, hard hitter. I wonder if what that tandem will look like this next year because OJ Burroughs kind of plays to the field and he fits that role pretty well. But what does that look like for Kenny Logan and Marvin Grant? Because I feel like Marvin Grant's ceiling might be a little bit higher than Kenny Logan, but you're talking about a guy that started a lot of football at Kansas and in terms of relationships, right? I think the staff does trust Kenny. And so I'm fascinated to see. I think it's a group that a lot of the same faces, I think the hope is that another year of development, maybe he can help them find just a different level of consistency that maybe they didn't have last year. If they can just get from you know bottom 20 in the country to bottom 50, you pair that with an offense that I think we have a reasonable amount of confidence in that it's going to be another really good offense, hell's pending, of course, then they could make it back to a bowl game. Uh, something else that could help make it back to a bowl game is if they fix these special teams a little bit. This is kind of crazy bad. I, I, don't, I don't usually talk a lot of special teams on here, but kicking terrible, punt, like punt coverage and punt game was really bad. Uh, punts like punt return also pretty bad. Like kick return or kick return and, and kickoffs were just slightly below average, which comparatively looks awesome. Uh, is there any reason to think they're going to be better on special teams? It's just it's odd to see a well coached team be this bad across the board. But at the same time, like a couple of my buddies coaching the MAC, and they tell me, "Look, man, if you just don't have athletes up and down your roster, special teams is really kind of where it shows because the backups you have on your team just." Like your 60 to 85 guys on scholarship, they, they just can't play. But maybe yeah. it's that. No, I think it's, it's a great mixture of multiple things. So starting with kicking, for folks who didn't watch Kansas last year, they had the worst field goal kicking percentage of any Big 12 team since 2017. It was terrible, objectively terrible. Um, they This offseason, the old kicker is in the portal. They brought in a new kicker, Seth Keller from Texas State who if he had kicked last year in the Big 12 would have been the third best kicker in the conference. So I think the hope is that field goal kicking, they'll take a step forward. Punting, they went and got a guy who plays Australian rules football, Damon Greaves, and he's going to be in Lawrence this summer. Again, the hope I think is that KU is hoping that he is a home run and a guy that can be a much better punter than Reese Vernon, who they had last year. And, and look, I couldn't tell you the last time I remember a punt that KU needed a big punt and they got a big punt. Yeah. It just didn't happen very much last year. So I think you want to talk about margins for Kansas. I think they lost so much of their margin for error in special teams that I think just even taking a step forward to getting middle of the road Big 12 can help fix so many issues. And you mentioned punt return. I always think back to the play against Kansas State where O.J. Burroughs is taking steps back to try and field a punt, and he muffs it on like the five-yard line, and K-State scores. And that's a game that, 
if that doesn't happen, if KU is able to get an offensive drive going, maybe it looks a whole lot different. And so I think over the course of the season, those types of plays really, really impacted Kansas, where now can they just get back to middle of the road in the Big 12? And I think that's a huge improvement and also just going to make it so much easier on the defense and offense where they don't have to be perfect for so much of the game. Yeah, I mean, if, if they can shoot, if they just get to the bottom of the Big 12 but not bottom of the Big 12 by a mile, like yeah. make it make it look more like a like a bad Big 12 team, not a not a MAC team le- le- level of of coverage and, and, and kicking. That would be that's a way they can find on the margins and and, and win for sure. Uh, Mike, where, where is kind of last one I have for you here? Where's the spot on this team where the gap, like position group wise, the gap between the starters and the reserves is the biggest in your mind, other than QB? I think probably linebacker right now, just because. I think they know what they have with the first four, but there really isn't much solidifying who those next guys are. And I think it probably says something about what they've done with the depth of the program too, where I don't think there's that big of a gap anywhere else really on the roster, right? You look at offensively, like there's not a huge gap between starters and maybe the number two. Where linebacker, right? Rich Miller's going to be back starting again. I really like Craig Young, what he does kind of their, their hawk, their hybrid linebacker role. Um, and then you got someone like Tylen Berryhill, who's a, a multi-year starter now. And you add J.B. Brown to the mix, right? You feel good about those four. But uh, you just don't know who those next kind of two or three are going to be. And you want to talk about special teams, right? That's where those linebackers come in to help, right? Special teams, when they can go on punt coverage, kick coverage, right? I just don't know necessarily where that depth is going to be. So that's probably where the biggest gap is. Awesome. We talk on this show a lot about how you can coach your way to points more than you can coach your way to stops. Talent seems to matter a little more in terms of, of, of the correlation on defense than it does offense. Folks, I don't know if there's a better example of that than Kansas, but we will be following them all year. Michael Swain, Fog.net, tremendous work over there. Everybody make sure you check out all the stuff they do, and we'll have to have you back on the show soon. Awesome. Thanks, bud. Really enjoyed it. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hey guys, Bud Elliott here. Welcome back to College Football Summer School on the Cover 3 Podcast Network. Today, we're going to talk a little Virginia Tech Hokies. And to help us do that, we're going to bring in Doug Bowman of VT Scoop. Doug, welcome back to the show, man. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So 
uh, last year, first year un- under coach Brent Pry, um, not the best year, three and eight, one of the absolute worst power rated power five teams out there. I-, I will say one and four in one score games. So maybe they were like a game unlucky, maybe a game and a half unlucky. Uh, but certainly the, the power ratings don't suggest that they were a, a whole lot better than than three and eight. What what's the general mood there in Blacksburg? I think you're feeling better, uh, better than they were last year. Um, certainly, the offense was historically historically bad. Um, lost lost a handful of close games, as you said. That could have gone could have gone the other way with you know just, just even a marginally better offense. So Tech went out and. Uh, addressed that in the offseason. They added a new running back, three new receivers, brought in another quarterback uh, to compete with Grant Wells. So uh, from a skill position perspective, Virginia Tech's feeling better about their playmakers and their ability on offense. Um, there's still question marks at quarterback, putting question marks on the offensive line. Uh, there's the whole G5 to P5, you know, guys moving up a level and whether they can be as productive as they were. So Plenty of questions, but they at least went out and addressed um, some some pretty dire needs based on last season. All right, so you brought it up, the offense. Uh, 125th in Bill Connolly's offensive power ratings. Uh, and specifically bad was the, the non-existent passing game. A success rate of 36% throwing the football, which is, I mean, I've been doing this for a long time. That's <laughs> one of the worst I've ever seen. Uh did they make any changes with with the offensive coaching staff this year, or or if so, are they going to do anything differently? Uh, yes and yes. Uh, so, so last year Tyler Bowen was the offensive coordinator and Tyler and tight ends coach. Uh, Brad Glenn was the quarterbacks coach and passing game coordinator. He's since left to become the offensive coordinator at Cincinnati. Uh, Joe Rudolph was the offensive line coach and running game coordinator. He's since left to go to Notre Dame. So. Uh, they brought in Ron Crook to coach the offensive line. Uh, they moved Stu Holt from running backs to tight ends coach, and they gave Bowen full. He's he's now full time offensive coordinator. Not that he wasn't last year, but they had a couple coordinator running game, passing game coordinators in there, and the, and they made him the quarterbacks coach. They feel like that's going to give them a little more streamlined continuity there with the coordinator coaching the quarterbacks too. Um, so we'll see how. It, how it works out. Bowen has never coached quarterbacks, so that's a question question mark um, go, going into the season on on whether whether prior experience coaching quarterbacks is that important for you know a guy who's spent at least a couple of years now um, as an offensive coordinator. So, coaching staff has some questions, and then and then obviously we'll see how they how they change their offense. I've talked a little bit about wanting to run the quarterbacks more, uh, and and then they definitely need to generate more big plays than they could last year. That's really interesting. And this is, I mean, this is one of the parts that I love doing summer school because, like, you find out stuff. I just, I'm glad you brought that up. Like, when, when I saw their staff they hired last year, I thought they were going to be really heavy QB run anyway, especially because Grant Wells, I mean, when, when he was at the Marshall, right? Like, he ran the football effectively and was not a great passer at Marshall. Uh, they bring in Kyron Drones from Baylor, who's obviously really mobile. Uh, more quarterback running. That's, they might be like the most quarterback run heavy team in the power five. If they're going to do that, that's, that's really interesting. So Wells is still competing for this job. I don't know how to ask this without sounding like a jerk, but like, does that say something about drones that Wells still has a shot to win this job? Are there specific things they, they think he can actually get better at? Like the numbers last year were, were so bad. It, it, 
it's almost concerning to me as an observer that he's still in this thing. I think I think that's a valid point and val- valid argument to make. Um, drones drones comes comes in. He's pretty green. I mean, you know, he didn't play that much at at Baylor. Um, so I think there was. Uh, I don't, I don't know if expectation is the right word, but this spring, you know, it, it was tough for him to come in in 15 practices and immediately overtake Grant Wells. So that's why the competition is stretching into, into August. Um, Brent Pry even said this week that they'd probably play um, two quarterbacks if, if, if the season were to start today. So um, we'll, we'll see if Drones makes the strides that he needs to make as a passer, I think is the main thing. Um, well, certainly knows the offense is comfortable in the offense. Um, and, and that's really, I think what it's going to come down to is, is does the coaching staff value, uh, the knowledge that an experience that Wells has within the offense versus kind of the, the untapped potential of drones, even, even if there would be some, some growing pains, um, he's probably got a, a little bit of development still to do as a passer compared to Wells. And the the schedule doesn't necessarily start super easy to break a guy in. For for those at home who don't have it pulled up, Old Dominion, which somehow beat the Hokies last year, uh, Purdue, Rutgers, which is on the road, at Marshall, Pitt, at Florida State, Wake, Cuse, at Louisville, at Boston College, NC State, at UVA. Like, that is a – that's not a hard schedule if you are a, like, top 10 type team, but if you're a team trying to make a bowl game, that is a difficult – schedule like they they could use an fcs team in there earlier i feel like to to break that up um hmm, okay uh they have to feel though like the receiver even though they lost some productive pieces to go out and get ali jennings uh for, from old dominion and to get jalen lane for middle tennessee state those are at least some explosive weapons for them. like they, they feel pretty good about the position now or at least decent yeah, I think they feel completely different than what they were at last year. Caleb Smith was the one playmaker on the on the entire offense last year. Uh, he transferred to Notre Dame and then had to medically retire. But um, they they immediately addressed it as you talk about Jennings and Jennings from Old Dominion started his career at West Virginia, and then Jalen Lane from Middle Tennessee State. They also added uh, Daquan Felton from Norfolk State, who's a he's six five, pretty athletic looking. He's one of the he's one of the guys that you wonder about production moving up to the to the P five level. Um, so they added three guys right at the top of the depth chart, which tells you how they felt about ah. the rest of the depth chart that that they had coming back. So um, they I, th- I think they feel a lot better. They love the competition that they brought, um, and certainly a lot more production. I mean, all three of those guys, if you look at their just sheer reception numbers, it's it's above and beyond what Virginia Tech's had over the last couple of years. So, Justin Fuente is probably not on Brent Pry's Christmas card list, uh, <laughs> based on what he left him at receiver. <laughs> I, I would say, I would say not. Gotcha. Uh, offensive line last year, uh, this team definitely battled some injuries based on the snap counts at, at different positions. Uh, o line appears to have stayed pretty healthy, and, and now uh, left tackle and, and the center are gone. Is, is this a unit that we think? Can it be status quo? Can it take a step forward? Or are you projecting a step back? Where, where do you kind of feel about these guys? Uh, I went back and watched the summer school we did last year, and, and you asked me a similar question. I said it was the biggest thing facing, biggest question facing Virginia Tech, um, and it's still the biggest question facing Virginia Tech. I think they have a higher ceiling this year and a lower floor. Um, they could be starting a redshirt freshman at both left tackle and left guard. 
Um, Xavier Chaplin played 28 snaps last year. Um, Braylon Moore was a guy that kept the four-game redshirt rule on him. But, you know, are they ready to go as redshirt freshmen? We'll see. Uh, and then, the, and then they have a big, big hole at right guard still um, that they're looking to address the battle there. So, um, the first five is could be better if if those freshmen come through, those young those young players come through. Um, but it, it like just like last year, if one or two injuries, it, it could get ugly quickly there on the offensive line. For sure. All right, let's let's switch over to the defensive side of the ball here. Uh, Top 40 in most of your power ratings, which is I mean, compared to the offense, much better. And that that obviously speaks to Prize, uh, you know, coaching ability, I think. And the fact he was a really good DC at Penn State for for quite some time. Uh I guess it doesn't matter how like within reason, it doesn't matter how good you are defensively if the offense just repeatedly can't score. See also the Miami game, right? But yep. uh signs of encouragement here, like is this a unit you think that can take another step forward? Yeah, I'm pretty optimistic on the defense. I mean, you kind of hit the nail on the head. They they were pretty good last year, given a tough. I mean, they were dealt tough hand after tough hand by the offense, um, especially in those one score game games we mentioned. I mean, held NC State to 21 points, Georgia Tech to 28, um, ODU only scored 13 offensive. I mean, that, that's three games that could have gone the other way with just a little help from the defense. But um, yeah, I think it's. I think it's a similar story defensively to last year. Tech has a lot of returning guys that they know what to expect out of. Um, Pollard and Kendricks, a defensive tackle, are back for their sixth year. Alan Tisdale, at linebacker, is back for a sixth year. Uh, Nasir Peoples at safety is, is back, is another returning starter. So they got kind of that, that, that solid base. And then you look at guys like Monsoor Delane, who was quietly one of the best cornerbacks in the country last year. Um, Kelly Lawson is a linebacker. He's kind of like a Tremaine Edmonds clone type athleticism, 6'6", 240. Um, Jay Billis would love his length and athleticism, I think. Um, so there's there's potential. They brought in uh, Antoine Powell-Ryland from Florida last week through the transfer portal trying to get a little more pass rushers. So I think they have the pieces to be as good as they were last year, maybe even better. You look at kind of the high end. They've added some high ceiling talent, Delane and Lawson, that um, I think I think raises their ability. And certainly in year two um, of the, of the Brent Pride defense, he's giving up play call duties this year. Um, actually, gave it up at the last game of the year last year, just because he felt he wasn't he wasn't as good as head coach as he could be um, while he was calling defensive plays. So that's something to watch as far as what impact that will be with Chris Marv calling plays over Brent Pry. But it's still prize defense. So he's still going to be heavily involved there, and you have to feel like feel like he's going to have his 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 fingerprints all over the defense, and they should be pretty decent again there. Uh, I was going to ask you about that pass rush. Like last year, they actually uh, they rated fairly highly in pressure rate, but not very highly in converting that pressure rate in, into sacks. Which sometimes is by design. Like Bama kind of looks like this a lot of times, right? They they get the ball out quickly, but they never they don't usually finish. Like. Was finishing a problem? Uh, I don't. I just don't think they had the, the the personnel to get to the quarterback in the first place. Their exactly. defensive ends we knew were were decent defensive ends, but no no big pass rusher at defensive end. Um, and their linebackers were kind of the same story. So you know, I think that was a big part of they added Power Island from Florida. They added they have a JUCO transfer coming in. We'll see if he can 
see if he can play early and then a couple guys that they're hoping to develop. It's, that's that's still the biggest question to me for Virginia Tech's defense is if they can get enough if they can get enough pressure on the quarterback to to really take a step up defensively or if it's going to be more of the same. I'm kind of curious about Juco recruiting going forward. Like with all these tra- like recruiting spots going to transfer portal kids and schools having fewer spots to give to high schoolers, there's some chance that like we get some really good players emerge from Juco in the next couple of years just because the, the quality of player going to a Juco now I think is higher than it used to be in some cases. Um, so run defense as opposed to pass defense last year was a pretty clear weakness compared to compared to a strength. What? How do you feel about the run defense? I mean, losing Dax Holyfield, like the guy makes a lot of plays when 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 he's when he's healthy. And last year he stayed pretty healthy. Uh, are they going to be better there against the run? Uh, tough to say right now. They feel they they return their top three defensive tackles who have played a ton of snaps. Um, Pollard, Kendricks, and Josh Fuga uh, feel pretty decent about there. They they currently don't know who the Mike linebacker though, and that's a pretty big pretty big piece of the defense um had three or four guys rotating through during the spring and nobody really seized it uh Jaden Keller is a, a young linebacker that F- the Fuente staff raved about him the Pry staff has raved about him it's just a matter of if he can put it all together um they have uh Tisdale is another one he's the veteran coming back um who could be a factor and they add Stone Snyder who's a transfer from VMI was a three-time FCS All-American there it's another another guy bumping up a, a level um, and seeing if that if that'll carry over. So, as far as personnel, the Mike linebacker spot is the biggest remaining question for Virginia Tech, and, and that they don't know who the starter is there and who it's going to be. So, um, as far as the run defense, I think that's that's the big piece that they need to figure out before we can make any make any make any sort of projection about how how good they'll be. For sure. Uh, Derek Canteen comes over from Georgia Southern, was a really good player in the Sun Belt. Was he in for spring? And if so, does it look like he's acclimated pretty well? Yeah, I think he's probably, Brent Pry would tell you, he's one of the biggest additions they've made. Um, he'll be, he's likely going to be the starter at the nickel spot, which Virginia Tech will tell you. Chamari Connor, who was a fourth round pick for the Chiefs, played the nickel last year, but was not a good fit for that position. He was just the best, best option Tech had. Um, so they feel like they really upgraded that spot, and they'll be able to, I think, play play that play that nickel spot um, a little more confidently. He's he certainly hit the ground running. They love his leadership ability. Um, they love his work ethic and all that all that he's about. Um, they you know they talk about his influence on Delane as a young sophomore corner and working with him. Um, I, I think they feel really feel really good about Canteen and the impact he'll make, kind of on and off the field. And then with Delane, Canteen, and Dorian Strong is coming back from, I think he had a broken arm or a broken elbow, one of those, um, last year. So they have three cornerbacks that they feel really strong about, and that um, could really be the strongest point of the defense. All right, so what position do they need the injury luck at? What, what, what spot is the biggest drop-off between starter and reserve? Defensively or offensively? Or we, can, we, can go, we can go either side. Yeah, I mean, I covered it. It's the offensive line. Okay. Um, awesome. You know, it's one, one. You know, they don't even know who if their starting five is going to be that great. Um, but it, certainly, it gets even more questionable as you get into the second unit with a lot of young players that, you know, they, they're obviously not good enough to break into that top five. 
Uh, and then if you're forced to play them, I think that's going to be the, that's the key question. They got pretty lucky last year with the injury bug on the offensive line where you know, Joe Rudolph did not rotate much at all, um, even knowing that the, they didn't have that great of an offensive line last year. Um, so they're kind of faced with the same problem this year where they have a lot of unproven guys. and You put one of them or two of them into a tight spot, it, it'll get interesting. No doubt. Um, I got to ask you about this. I usually don't talk a lot of special te- special teams on this, but Virginia Tech was dead last in the nation in kick return efficiency last year. They didn't have a single kickoff brought outside of the 30. Like, is that – have they talked about that? Are, are they going to change up the returner? Is it more of a, a – like who you put on return team? But has there been any discussion of this? I kind of It kind of <laughs> jumped out to me. It's like they always start in their, like deep in their own end. Yeah, they – you know, it hasn't been that big of a – discussion point but they did rotate through a ton of guys um you know that nc state game they lost by a point arguably turned on two muffed back-to-back muffed kick kickoffs that kickoffs that's yeah, yeah you don't want to muff a kickoff that's uh, and they were you know and that backed up a terrible offense off the five yard line and just swung swung field position entirely in nc state's favor late so they're they're certainly looking to improve that um they brought in Jalen Lane as a kick returner who has experience there from Middle Tennessee State. I think he's a he's a strong candidate. The other transfer they brought in, Basial Tutin from NCA&T. He's a running back. Another option there. Um, Tucker Holloway, he had a punt return for a touchdown. I think he could play there. So I, I think you hit a spot where they, they really need to improve because they, you know, the, last year they certainly could not afford to lose the field position battle, but that'll only make it that much more difficult. Yeah, asking that 2022 offense to go 80 yards repeatedly is really not uh, a nice thing. No. Uh, ooh, man. Okay. <laughs> Doug, I really appreciate your time here, man. This, this has been awesome. I feel like I learned a ton. Uh, guys, I don't think anybody out there covers Green Tech better than BT Scoop. I'm always checking out their boards to see. like They, they were tops on, on that Powell Ryland coverage recently with the transfer portal, and they're always, they're always on it. So make sure you check them out if you're a Hokies fan. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, welcome back in to Bud Elliott's Summer School, where we talk everything college football. Today, we're going to get the rundown on Michigan State. To do that, we're going to bring in Stephen Brooks of Spartan Tailgate. Stephen, welcome back to the show, man. Happy to be here, man. Been looking forward to this all year. Last year was a great, great experience. So uh, happy to talk some ball. Happy to fill the void with with something sort of sort of real here. You know, as we as we tick away the days. We we need it. Um, so I got to give Stephen a lot of credit. He was probably. 
the most honest and accurate team site publishers we had last year on this entire series, right? Like Michigan State's coming off a Peach Bowl game where they, where they won, what, 10 or 11 ball games in 2021. And, and he came out and he told us on the show, and my sources within the building told me, how the heck did we just win that many games? Like they knew they were lucky. And I, I went back and I listened to all of last year's shows for these. I, I got to give you credit, man. You were really like open and honest about it. And I, I don't think anybody saw five and seven coming, but we knew based no. on there would be a step back. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. Uh, I, it's good to know I got something right for once, you know, blind squirrel nut, all that, you know, whatnot type of thing. Um, you know, they were just in people like you and I, but know, like, you don't go from two wins in year one to 11 in year two of a coaching staff. That just doesn't happen. And then you, what do you know? We see the last year's NFL season play out. And who's one of the best running backs in the league the second he walks in the door? Oh, that's that guy from Michigan State, right? So the, the, he was able to cover up quite a bit. Now, that wasn't everything, you know, to, to be fair, the guys that came back. Um, they had quite a few injuries last year, literally starting in game one. They lost their best D-tackle, their best linebacker, their best DB, all within the first game to different uh, amounts of time. And then they really didn't get healthy until like mid, late October. And even then it was guys trying to come back and other guys had gotten hurt. Their depth wasn't there. Then uh, as you turn to November, they were dealing with the suspensions from the Michigan incident. So they were down eight defensive players there, uh, had to play four DNs. I'm sorry, four D tackles uh, on their starting line down in Illinois. I ended up pulling off an upset down there with it, but it was an odd year. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure we're going to get into it, but I'm looking at a very similar sort of ceiling from what I described last year to sort of like, you know, I definitely make a bowl game, finish over 500, but it's not a team that I think is built to contend. It's just got to be a team that sort of maintains the trajectory of the whole big picture, I would say. I, I got to open. Well, I guess we already opened it. I, I kind of have to continue to open with this. So, so like in a team that does have. Uh, a lot of transfers through Mel Tucker's first couple of years. And I think we hear this with any team that you know, takes a lot of transfers. Team I'm very familiar with, Florida State did the same same thing. You have to ask culturally, like, does, does Mel Tucker still have this team? Like, do, do, are they still fighting for him, believing him? Does the coaching staff feel like they have the pulse of these guys? Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, because a lot of, you know, anybody who wasn't really on board with that has already been flushed out in some of these last couple off seasons or just – made their way out on their own type of thing. But I do think they've done a good job of when they hunt the transfer portal, they are trying, they are getting, you know, you're not seeing them get the the Kyler Murray's, the Caleb Williams types. Yeah, of course, they're both QBs, but I'm just saying the high-profile dudes, you're really not seeing sure. them get them. You're seeing them get the second-chance guys, maybe the third-chance guys, the guy who started at Juco, maybe this is his third or fourth. You know, he's getting the guys that are really, like, at the end of their rope kind of thing, and it's, they have no choice. You know, and he, he's kind of presenting that same sort of um, image in terms of I'm a, I'm a hungry coach. I'm trying to build this thing. You know, this is all going on my record now. I've been a longtime assistant. I'm a head coach now. This is this is all up to me. You know, the buck stops here type of thing. So I think it, culturally they have done a pretty good job of getting transfers like that that are desperate to to do something. And that that molds pretty well, I think, with the culture he's tried to lay down from day one. And then the returning guys, I mean, now – this year, especially, we're starting to see a lot of the 2022 class come up. The 21 class is first one that was built over Zoom mostly. About half those guys are already gone, and a good chunk probably won't finish here, I would guess. But there's a couple of pretty good hits in there as well. They've, they've filtered up. 2022 class is filtering up to where those guys were sold on it from day one, right? And so it's like they, they already came here knowing what the culture was going to be, and, and you know they take pride in sort of trying to trying to solidify all of that so um i think i don't think that's an issue right now i think it's just mostly a uh 
you know, these last couple of years, other than 11 and two, it's mostly been a talent thing. They haven't had the talent to compete at the top of the big 10 and they haven't had the depth either where we really saw that last year um, in a big way with all those injuries and suspensions I mentioned, but even, even the 11 and two year in 21, they, they were, they were hanging by the razor's edge at, at certain positions at certain times. Then November came and guys were either hurt or tired. And that's when the losses came, you know, they went eight, eight, no, nine and no start. Everybody was healthy. They had, the, had really good luck there. And then November came not so much. And we started to see some of the cracks of the depth there. So that's really the state uh, of that right now. But in terms of Mel Tucker and culture and, and buying and everything, I don't think that's an issue at all at this point. Nice. So Peyton Thorne, quarterback of an offense that was the top 60 offense, which is not great, but as we'll get to, it wasn't as bad as, as the defense <laughs> was. He leaves for Auburn. And normally I'm like, that's a kind of a step up for Michigan State. But also, given how bad the quarterback room is at Auburn and the fact that I think Auburn receivers are, are pretty sketchy uh, talent-wise, that's not necessarily a guaranteed step up for him in terms of programming. How do you? What's your read on this? Was he going to be the starter at Michigan State? I, I kind of assume so, but is that wrong to assume? No, I don't think so. Um, I think you'd, you'd, your your money would be safest if you were to put, would have put it there. You know, from what I understand, coming out of spring practice, the communication was that that Peyton Dorn was still in the lead. He had not won the job; it was not over. They hadn't crowned him or anything like that. He was still going to have to compete with Noah Kim, uh, Redshirt Junior, who was his backup last year, and Caden Hauser, a Redshirt freshman, who's you know, he, he's the uh, golden boy QB recruit of the Mel Tucker era so far, lead 11 guy, four-star kid out of St. John Bosco. Um, as pull the public, that's who they want, you know, because he's got all the, the flashy credentials. But my understanding is internally the communication was that Peyton would still go into camp at least ahead, you know, in the number one position. Not that he was assured of anything, but, but in the lead. And so, yeah, it's it's curious on a lot of different levels, you, you know, and we all, we never know every angle of transfer things because there's so many angles that can go into it you know um but i do think if he stayed here he would have had a very good chance uh to be the starter to hold those guys off some more but the the, the the end of spring open practice he looked like the guy who was in front so uh you know you spin it the other way though if he was going to lose keon coleman who i think is you know going to be a household name this fall potentially depending on where he lands Jaden reed we just saw was a second round pick of the green bay packers Two NFL receivers out the door, uh, trying to break in new guys, an offensive line that I don't think has instilled a lot of faith. He had no run game last year. So you could sort of, you, again, you, you twist it one way, you could see how it makes all the sense in the world to go find something new, especially if it's a situation where it's just sort of turnkey. You just got to show up and you're the guy. And on the other hand, you could see why, you know, there's benefits of staying and the continuity and, and trying to, you know, polish up your legacy and all that. The one thing that I have to know with Peyton is that after after that end of spring practice on April fifteenth, a couple of weeks ago, um, it, it, he 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 opened up a little bit, not fully, but opened up a little bit about how injured he was last year. And there's a hit he took in game one against Western Michigan where he folded up, went down, had to leave, only left for a play, but it looked bad. Came back in, finished the game, but he said from that moment forward he wasn't right. Uh, and then there was something else later in the season where it was upper body and lower body at the same time. So. People can put as much weight as they want into all that. It's a guy who had a had a down year, you know, given some reasons for it. Are they reasons? Are they excuses? Are they both? I, I sort of leave that up to the court of public opinion. But I think it's at least it's definitely notable to say that uh, he was not fully 100 percent healthy last year. And that obviously just complicated so many other things. When you look at the lack of the running game that didn't help him, uh, Jaden Reed being hurt for a little bit and playing most of the year dinged up didn't help him all sorts of other things. So there wasn't a lot really to feel good about with the Michigan State offense last year to boil it down to a sentence. 
For sure. So at least we, we wouldn't expect a, a large step back, if, if any at all, from either Kim or House or whoever, whoever went that job. Probably not. Uh, I mean, it's 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 the the allure of the unknown, right? But the thing is that those guys have 20 combined college passes under their belt. Um, Kim came in a couple times like that, a couple like one one play shifts for Thorne when he was getting evaluated and uh, threw a couple touchdowns, actually, you know, did a couple nice things. And he had a couple like end of game, you know, uh, bleeded out drives. I was I think had one series where he threw one pass, I want to say. Um, so just not a lot of experience. And that's one of the things with Peyton Thorne, you know, physically, he's not going to wow you at all. Um, you know, the physical tools and traits really are just kind of middle of the road for him. But cerebrally, you know, son of a coach, uh, grandson of a coach, you know, thinks the game very well. And they always would say that the consistent thing with Thorne was always that we trust him to get us in and out of the right things at the line of scrimmage. We trust that he's seen the right things from the defense to, you know, uh, maneuver, pull the right switches and get us in the right spots. So that's where... Maybe if, even if both these guys, it is plausible that both these guys are more physically talented than him, just from a raw ability standpoint. But will they be able to match what he brought between the ears and the benefit that that gave the offense, sort of the unseen stuff that he was doing out there? That you know, again, the numbers aren't that great, so maybe it's maybe it's a wash. But that that experience, that savvy of of seeing and, and feeling and knowing when to check this or that, uh, is really what's what they have to find out whether they can replace that or not. All right, fill in the blank here. After losing Keon Coleman and Jaden Reed at receiver, that's 180 targets, 113 catches, 1,500 yards, and probably going to be two top 100 picks. The one guy already is. The next guy, if he stays healthy, got to be. Uh, if the if the drop-off at receiver is not quite as big as we think it's going to be, it's because who stepped up and played really well? Ooh, I, I think it's going to be a committee, honestly. I mean, not to duck it. Uh, Trey Mosley is their returning number two, so he's sort of – Elevates to number one by default, of course, but but skill set wise, he's just he's a hand in glove number two, you know, because again, he doesn't really wow you physically and everything, but you throw the ball his way, he's going to catch it. He might not shake a guy and break it off for 80, but he will catch it. He won't lose it. He'll go to the ground first down. We live to play another down type of thing. You know, he's just very, very reliable, but not not explosive or or scary, you know, or dangerous necessarily in that way. That's what Keon Coleman was like, and Jaden Reed, of course, in his own way, but. Keon, like, would, that, that's a guy that scares you. 6'4", 200, leaping ability, speed. Um, so I think it'll be a committee. Uh, we'll, we'll see what they get in the transfer portal, too. You know, the, that's that's bubbling as we speak right now. I do think there will be some transfers that come in. Maybe there's an alpha dog within that group that they can pull out. But I think it'll be more of a committee. You've got some sophomores coming up. Antonio Gates Jr., former four-star kid, top 247 kid, uh, who's there ready to blossom. Uh, Jerron Glover is in that class, a kid out of Florida, uh, Riverview, I believe it is, that they plucked yep. out of there. Um, and then Tyrell Henry was an in-state kid from Roseville uh, in that threesome of, of um, redshirt freshmen. That I think all of them are going to be in the mix. Montori Foster is an upperclassman who's been in and out as sort of a third, fourth swing guy the last couple of years. I just don't see a breakout as another star, though, honestly, but I do think it's going to have to be all of them cobbling it together a little. So last year, uh, you told me that the offensive line was a major concern for you, especially if they got dinged up. And the numbers were pretty bad. So, again, Michigan State fans, Mark Tailgate knows what they are looking at and what they are writing about. Uh, do you expect improvement this year along the offensive line? I'm still in a see-it-to-believe-it state with that. I mean, I don't mean to to be, like, overly down on them or anything, and I've been saying this, like, every year since I've got the job, you know, and I've been covering the team, but it's 
it's mostly the same guys, right? You know, maybe there's they really only lose one starter from last year. At this point, it could be five returning guys, you know, and the the major addition that they got is a junior college uh, tackle, Keyshawn Blackstock. He was our number one uh, junior college offensive lineman in the rankings. Major, major recruiting win for them. I think he could play guard or tackle. It sounds like uh, he's competing at left tackle right now with uh, Brandon Baldwin, who's a redshirt junior. Got a, got a lot of run last year as basically a pseudo starter. He started when, when Horst, their number one, wasn't there, and he ended up starting like five, six games maybe, maybe a couple more than that. So he's not going to be easy to beat out, but it's just all the same guys. And I, and I can't, you know, normally, but I would say, well, it's all the same guys, but at least they're a year older, a year stronger, a year wiser. But most of these guys are all multi-year starters, too. You, and so it's like, it's I, I, I can't in good faith just for, just assume natural progression anymore, because I've been assuming that for this group for four or five years, and it's, it remains a mediocre to average at best unit. Um so in terms of this year, I don't know. I really don't think we'll probably see a night and day difference. Um, with the depth, at least, that will be different. You know, the, the Mel Tucker recruits, the Chris Kapilovic, the line coach, his recruits are, again, finally starting to, to filter up to the top a little bit. And those guys came in with, like, non-negotiable size. And that was one of the real main differences. You probably remember me saying this last year. At the end of the D'Antonio era, they just had five guards out there. You know, they had no real tackles on their roster, the recruiting and the development was not there in that room. And so now, you know, th- these guys came in 6'6", 300, and they're starting to filter into that top, uh, into the two deep at least. So I think the future is bright because they brought in a lot of these big bodies with tools, with athleticism, guys that I hear are developing rapidly behind the scenes. Um, but right now they're still sort of at the end of that transition period of some holdover guys from the previous staff who are good, experienced, you know, reliable-ish, but not ready to turn the keys over fully to the young guys. Um, so in that case, I, I think it'll be about what we saw last year, quite honestly. I don't. I have no reason to believe at this point that it'll be a market improvement. Gotcha. All right, so last year, the defense, uh, top 90, which is really a, a massive drop-off from what they were prior year. Now, stylistically, my numbers say they were similar, right? Extreme bend, but don't break. The problem is in 2021, they didn't break. In 2022, they did the bend but don't break thing but then once the teams got into the red zone they also didn't really resist any kind of red zone uh effort by the opposing offense where are they most like what area of this defense is most likely to improve in 2023 i think it's it's the front seven um just to get it right you know and i think that's the thing bud that you, if this team is going to overachieve or be anything above sort of what i'm laying out for you guys here i think it's because that front seven maybe is really good, you know, um, not, you know, nationally renowned or anything, but, but in terms of the big 10, in terms of the division, that might be, you know, they're the tip of their spear to, to make some, make a little noise. They're not going to be this dark horse contender, but if they're a little better than I think, I think it's that front seven, the D line has been remade through the transfer portal. Uh, they got two big tackles in there from, um, Florida state and Liberty. Uh, the, the crown jewel jewel is a, is a big end to niche, Adelier from yep. Texas A&M, was a four-star kid, very big-time recruit out of KD, Texas. Um, only played three games at A&M, and he comes over here, and he says, I'm going to be playing everything from zero technique right over the nose all the way out to the nine, and that's that's fascinating to me. I mean, they haven't had a guy like that. If he can really do that and be effective, we'll see. But if he's really that type of guy that can play any position in there, never has to come off the field, can play the run, can be a difference maker on passing downs for you, that's really intriguing. They bring back almost all their linebackers, except for Ben Van Sumer and uh, 
the workout warrior, you know, who guys might have might have heard during draft season, um, didn't end up getting picked. But he was not a super productive or, or instinctual player anyway. He was more of a workout warrior. So in terms of production, proven football guys, Jacoby Winman coming back, he's a full-time linebacker now. He started those two games, weeks one and two last year, had like six sacks or whatever, and like three, four fumbles in two games, went crazy, and then was like never really heard from again. And then he moved back to linebacker. He'll just be a linebacker this year. Aaron Brule, former Mississippi State transfer. He's a guy that I think has a lot of versatility, can play in the open space, uh, can give them something in pass coverage. Darius Snow was one of the, who I mentioned early on, those week one injuries. He was a safety in 21, moved, bulked up, moved a linebacker. And he was really sort of the key to a lot of the things they were doing because of that DB background and just the, the, move, the ability he gave them in the middle of the field to cover some things up and be very physical, be a sure tackler at the same time. That really hurt them. He was the one who was out for the full year, um, and it was a, it was a bad injury. So I don't even know at this point what it looks like for him. I don't think he'll be available at the start of training camp. Um, if he is, he'd be very very limited, I would think. So, but all that to say, uh, I do. And their their tackles, they lose uh, Jacob Slade, who is very productive. But like I said, bringing those transfers who just have size that they didn't have before. Simeon Barrows, another undersized kid, uh, was a high school defensive end in Georgia, but he's like a He's like a sawed-off sort of Geno Atkins penetrator there in the middle. He's, sure. he's a guy who's going to be interesting. So if I think the front seven has a chance to be their most dangerous unit and maybe it's something that can, you know, put a little bit of the team on their back in a certain way and, and be that difference-making unit uh, week to week. So, all right, if the front seven is the most likely spot to get better, what's the least likely spot to get better? Strictly on defense, you're saying, or across the board? Yeah, okay. yeah just on it's, it's yeah, it's got to be the secondary, um, and that's been a weakness, you know, since Mel Tucker's been here, uh, which is kind of surprising given, you know, his his background as a DB's coach. Uh, you know, 2021, they somehow won 11 games despite giving up more passing yards per game than any team in the country, any team. And then last year they were statistically a little bit better, uh, you know, anecdotally, not much at all, and they, they were dead last, I want to say, with two interceptions as a team. You know, that, just, that can't happen. Uh, so there's been a turnover in personnel back there. I actually do think this group could be a little better, but, you know, when you look at the options, I do think they're, they're probably least likely, I guess, as well. But they've turned over a lot. That 2022 class I keep mentioning, Mel Tucker's first class that he didn't have to recruit over Zoom. Uh, those guys, they could have three starters in the, in the defensive backfield. Uh, Malik Spencer is a safety who they feel really, really good about uh, out of Georgia. It was a really good recruiting win, really good identification. Uh, got him in like March of that cycle and, and held on to him against, you know, Miami and some others who were trying to pick him off. Just a, a textbook modern box player who can drop back, play safety, come up to the line of scrimmage and anything in between. You know, he can do it all in the middle of the field there. I think he's going to have a really bright career. Uh, next name is Jaden Mangum is another sophomore from that class, four-star Michigan kid. He got a little bit of run last year with some of those injuries I mentioned about. Uh, and then Dylan Tatum is a guy who just came in as he was a four-star Michigan recruit. Just came in as an athlete, sprinter type of guy, and, and nobody really knew, you know, was he a running back? Is he a DB? Literally played every position in the defensive backfield last year at different times. Strong, free, nickel, corner. Settled at nickel near the end, got a start at the game in game 12 against Penn State. Looked pretty good, and now I think he's probably got the inside track to start uh, one of those positions. So it's young in the defensive backfield. That's where you worry. You know, have they seen everything? Are they communicating the right way? All those type of things. But also, there's upside, there's room to grow, I guess, if you want to spin it that way. And they are all really good athletes. These are all four-star type of caliber kids coming in. So they have that pedigree of at least a higher level of, of, of athleticism, bigger builds, an inch or two there, 
you know, a second or two there on the times, you know how much that can make a difference. Absolutely. Uh, Stephen, where would you say is the position group that has the biggest drop off from starters to the backup? Uh, again, just defense or the whole team? The uh, whole team. We'll, we'll go the whole team for this. Starters and backups. Um, safety, for sure. Safety, for sure, actually. Yeah, not to just carry on with what I was just saying, but yeah, no, it's safety, for sure. And they have, uh, as of this taping, they've picked up one transfer safety, a kid named Amorian Smith from Cincinnati, who is sort of a backup special teamer over there. I think he'll probably be the exact same thing here for now. Uh, in-state kid from the Detroit area, somebody who actually were sniffing around really, really hard at the end of the 21 cycle, and he had already been committed to Cincinnati and stuck with it. But uh, they bring him back home. I think he's exactly what they needed. Just they needed some depth there. I don't think they really need, you know, if you could get, look, we all know, you can get a, an all-league player, plug him as a starter, of course. That's just not super realistic. I think in, in terms of the real world, he was exactly what they needed. Just as a guy who's young, played a little bit, though, knows a little bit about what he's doing from the area, so he's not going to be looking to bolt necessarily. They just need some bodies behind those two guys, uh, Mangum and Spencer, that I mentioned. They really had basically no functional depth. I mean, you're talking about guys who are either walk-ons or way, 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 way undersized or moving out of position uh, if one of those two were to go down. Now they at least have a third in there that I think gives them a little bit. It's still the, it's still the thinnest on the team, though. And I don't know if you want, like I said, both of them being second-year guys, uh, Spencer redshirted, but uh, Mangum didn't, so he's a true sophomore. You, to me, I think you kind of want those guys growing together as a tandem and seeing where they can take it together. Um, so even if you had, you know, the, the plug-and-play starter in your, in your pocket, I, of course you take them, but I, I could I could make an argument of why it'd be good to just let the young guys sort of take the wheel themselves and figure it out as well. But in terms of depth and where they're really dangerous, where they're dangerously thin, it's, it's those two spots for sure. So the West draw for Michigan State, which is the East team, I guess this may be the last year with divisions we'll have to see. Uh, at Iowa, at Minnesota, host Nebraska, and you get Washington in the non-conference. So with that as the groundwork, and obviously the East is, is the East, and it's almost always a bear. What, in your mind, what, what are the three most likely records Michigan State might finish with? Most likely? Okay. Uh, probably just, it's easiest for me to just pick it like, so five wins, six wins, seven wins, probably the three most sure. likely. Eight, I think, eight and four would be uh, like, all systems go, you know, all the question marks were checked and health was, was, was pristine for the most part. Um, I don't think five and seven on the low end, I don't think that would necessarily be a, you know, total meltdown disaster could get worse than that. But I think five and seven, if you, Hey, if Matt rule and those guys are all put together in year one, and that's a tougher game than we think, obviously going to Kinnick that you mentioned is never easy. Um, some of these games that you think are toss ups or winnable, depending on your persuasion, Maybe they're not. So, yeah, I think five, six, or seven wins are the three most likely for sure. Uh, like I said, above that would, would feel like overachieving or maximizing at least what they are. And I do think there's scenarios where it's lower than that. Awesome. Stephen Brooks, Mark Tilgate, this has been Buddy Elliott, College Football Summer School here on the Cover 3 Podcast. Really appreciate the time. Thanks for having me, man. Always a good time. Streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus.